Hi folks, I'm Alan Wharton. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 10th of July, 2016. This will be a continuation of last week, July the 3rd, 2016, to show you basically that everything that's happening, I mean everything that is happening, is planned that way. Planned that way, way in advance. And it's part of a... Literally a strategy that's even taught at uh, the Army uh, War College for intelligence officers and so on in the U.S. and elsewhere. And I, I've said for years and years, I kind of doubt, I really do kind of doubt that, that there's any difference whatsoever uh, between different intelligence agencies of different nations. You have the same things being taught. Yeah, often you have people working in, within all these organizations that know each other. And it makes a bit of a mockery of even having nations at all. And that's part of the strategy, in fact. And um, you can have a whole bunch of countries and intelligence agencies dominated by another small minority. I can remember talking about Aldous Huxley when he gave a talk at Berkeley back in the 60s, 1960s, and he said there's always been a, a dominant minority, the ones who rule you, you see, and I guess there always will be. He didn't see any reason for why it should change. And the dominant minority in a financially driven system are those who deal uh, primarily with the creation and of money. Uh, they, they tell you what money is, they tell you how much it's worth and buying power. And they run the whole system of what you call fascism, democracy, Soviet, communism, whatever it happens to be. It's all the same system because they all run on the same system. So those in charge of the of the numbers racket, you know, adding up and all and fudging the figures, are the ones who rule. Governments go to to the big international lenders every year and uh, cap in hand and borrow. So if you borrow, you are the servant, you know, you're the debtor. Now, those oligarchs that run nations don't have to even appear in the realms of what you call governance. They are the governance. Uh, they're the ones who do the governing behind the scenes. And uh, most orders come simply from little comments that they dish out and those that you elect and all the bureaucracies and so on. Uh, know what to do. They, they make it so. Make it so. That's an old term. Make it so. Uh, you'll find make, make it so is awfully important because that literally is, is the command, the, the top ultimate command. Uh, let it be. Make it so. Um, you'll find it too from uh, Salah, you know, the, no, an old Hebrew term for for pray, so, or, or pray, or even a curse. It could it could be for blessing or a curse, in fact. But it's, pray well, it means make it so. And the big club at the top has trained uh, the helpers down below uh, to obey these little commands. And of course, you know about all the different associations which they give out to the general public. Uh, <laughs> It's, it's rather sad, it's rather sad that folk will sell their souls, literally, to get ahead in the world, to be fairly safe, as opposed to poor in the gutter 
or e even uh, on the edges of getting tossed out on the street or whatever, because most folk are today. You know, you, they've always been like that. Not a generation's past. Not a generation, folks, where they've had peace, complete peace. You're either given a war by your government, no matter what country you're in, uh, or you're given a financial crash, and sometimes both, or multiple of all these things. And that's how control is maintained, keeping you on edge all the time. So the helpers of the big oligarchs at the top are given uh, uh, special medals, special ones, you know, and orders of things. They call them order of blah, 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 and merit, and yada, yada, yada. And they serve it well, and uh, they're well rewarded, and they don't have to worry about being tossed out in the streets or being sent off to fight the wars or gonna, or even uh, suffer financially when, when the, the, cr the planned crashes come. That's how it all works. That's how it works, folks. It's quite simple, isn't it? I said years ago, too, back in the 90s, that the whole idea with the, the, the supposed new hibernation of the Russian bear, you know, went into hibernation uh, when the Soviet Union just decided supposedly to give up. And you find that uh, for literally within a year, the, the U.S. was off to war, basically, uh, in Gulf War One. And even that, it's a big, big story behind that. It wasn't just Iraq invading Kuwait. It was the fact that Iraq was pretty well set up to invade Kuwait because um, they'd actually asked permission from different foreign representatives if uh, the countries that eventually attacked them uh, would, would mind if they, if they uh, went into Kuwait to straighten things out because the oil fields in Kuwait were drilling horizontal, it's called horizontal drilling for oil, and going under the borders of Iraq and draining the oil out. I mean, this is how gangsterism works, you see. And um, we all know what happens there. But anyway, it's all planned way ahead in advance. And so even those who think they're going to, they're, they're in with the big boys and have been for one at one time, like Saddam Hussein, they're eventually, uh, if the usefulness is, is done, it's like toilet paper, they're just tossed aside, or even worse. And they're looted, of course, and the countries are looted. And that was all planned, too, with a new American century. We, we know that. It's been well published by the, the guys involved in it. And, um, but anyway, yeah, you never get peace. You never get peace. And just like the gangs of New York, that movie, you'll find that uh, there are good sayings in the, in the actual movie where I think it was the mayor of New York said... Uh, talk about riots from the, pu the public that were coming. Uh, you can always hire, don't worry, but you can always hire half the poor to kill the other half. And it isn't that the way of it. Come on. Undo all this, this brainwashed, sudden, on-off switch for pride. You know. You, you, you toss it out the window. Toss it out the window. And, and this honour thing and so on. Uh, when you're not being invaded and you go into the military to go and fight other countries and invade them, you do the invasion, uh, then you're a mercenary. And what a great trick when you've been, you can be fed, force-fed a, a technique uh, that makes you think and even say that you're there to, to help the, the oppressed. And the, the oppressed that you've just conquered are standing with their mouths open saying, what, what's, what are they talking about? So you can still convince yourself that you're, you're somehow benevolent. 
And it's a benevolent cause that you're, you're involved in. And it's almost generally the, the, the bulk of soldiery are, happens to be the poor. They can't get jobs. And they always make sure that you're always in a big depression when the, the bulk of the wars go on. So they can, yeah, you can go in and be a somebody and you get a nice smart outfit and you're given respect amongst the population uh, because you've been trained to believe that's the way it is. And so is the population. And uh, but you're still the same you. Still, still, and you come out of the army if you can, if you can make it through. You come out of it at the end. They're damaged. There's no doubt about it, you're damaged. You know. So, um, but the technique keeps working and working and working and working. It's it's rather sad how, how these formulas work. And last week I started on about again the army, war college and. Um, uh, there's many articles I've got here, but on on constant conflict and uh, in, intelligence uh, officers writing different articles over the years about lots and lots of them. But it's this is the one that says um, at the U.S. War College Quarterly. There'll be no peace. I'm just going to reiterate what I said last week at the very end. I wasn't time to read much at all. But it says there'll be no peace at any given moment for the rest of our lifetimes. Now you better get that through your heads. They mean it, folks. Right? There will be multiple conflicts and mutating forms. What is ISIS? What was it before they called ISIS or ISIL and ICE and all the rest of it? <laughs> it's all planned. Forms around the globe. Violent conflict will dominate the headlines. But cultural, now here's something important here. Cultural and economic struggles will be steadier and ultimately more decisive. This is awfully important stuff. Said so simply that little statements contain so much. Cultural and economic struggles will be steadier and ultimately more decisive. The de facto role of the U.S. armed forces will be to keep the world safe for our economy. It's interesting. Think of the words here. The de facto role of the U.S. armed forces, the U.S. armed forces, will be to keep the world safe for our economy. Didn't say the U.S. economy. And open to our cultural assault. Our cultural assault. Remember, there's many forms of warfare. Economic, there's physical, and, and there's also the cultural. The cultural is awfully effective. You're all brainwashed before any major thing happens in, in society by all the movies you watch. For years, sometimes it takes years and years before they actually bring forth the things that have been planted in your mind from the movies. To those ends, you will do a fair amount of killing. Oh, yes, there you go. We've entered an age of constant conflict, and information is at once our, our core commodity. Now, who's got the most commodity of over information, right? And the most destabilizing factor of our time. Until now, history has been a quest to acquire information. Today, the challenge lies in managing information. Those of us who can sort, digest, synthesize, and apply relevant knowledge soar. Professionally, financially, politically, militarily, and socially. We, the winners, are a minority. Now here, remember, understand it's awfully important the terms are using. 
awfully important. You've got the US, and then, then you've got our. Now, who's, who's our economy? And the cultural assault, etc. And then you have things like, um, I just read there, but digest, synthesize, and apply relevant knowledge. We soar professionally, financially, politically, militarily, and socially. We, the winners, are a minority. You can't very well say the population of the US, for instance, is a, is, is a minority. That's a minority within the U.S. Anyway, for the world masses, and the U.S. is part of the world masses. The masses are the masses, no matter what you look. No matter if you've got nations, no nations, or blocks of nations, the masses are always the masses, according to these boys, you see. Devastated by information, there you go. Information they cannot manage or effectively interpret. Life is nasty, brutish, and short-circuited. You're always kept in fear, off-balance, yada, yeah. The general pace of change is overwhelming, and information is both the motor and a signifier of change. Those humans in every country and region who cannot understand the new world or who cannot profit from its uncertainties, awfully important. Now think about it too. What was it Rothschild said, the first major Rothschild in, in England, when he was asked, when do you make your, your big money, you know? And he says, it's when the blood is flowing in the streets. Hmm? Hmm? Those who cannot profit from its uncertainties or who cannot reconcile themselves to its dynamics. In other words, if you've got emotions there and you say, well, I can't profit from this and I can't go and slaughter those folk, blah, blah, you're, the, you're the loser will become the violent enemies of their inadequate governments, you see, uh, of their more fortunate neighbors, and ultimately of the United States. We are entering a new American century. Remember that one, the PNAC group, you see? In which we will become still wealthy. Well, who's, well, they're the group, you see. They claim, they claim. Culturally more lethal and increasingly powerful, we will incite hatreds without precedent. We live in an age of multiple truths, and I mentioned that last week, Carl Rove and so on. He who warns of the clash of civilizations is incontestably right. Simultaneously, we shall see higher levels of constructive trafficking between civilizations than ever before. Hmm. The future is bright and it's also very dark. More men and women will enjoy health and prosperity than ever before, yet more will live in poverty or tumult, if only because of the ferocity of demographics. There'll be more democracy, that, now listen to this, <laughs> that deft liberal form of imperialism, mm-hmm, yep, and greater popular refusal of democracy. One of the defining uh, bifurcations of the future will be the conflict between information masters and information victims. Oh, so important. Right in the open, right in your face is stuff, you see. And these guys that are taught this stuff early, they've already been given a psychological test, these guys who work in intelligence, and they must have the psychopathic traits, you see, that are required to be uh, a guy who helps implement this kind of stuff. They don't sit and fret over hurting other people or, or the masses, as, as they call them, and so on. Don't, don't think for a second uh, that any totalitarian system stands for the masses. Don't ever think about that. Oh, don't believe that, for goodness sake. Or you're truly mad. You know. 
there is always a dominant minority. And they, they're like chameleons. They can change the outfits, uniforms, business suits, whatever happens to be when required. Yeah, and they do. In the past, information empowerment was largely a matter of insider and outsider, as elementary as the division of society into the literate and illiterate, while superior information, often embodied in military technology, killed throughout history. Its effects tended to be politically decisive, but not personally intrusive, once the raping and pillaging were done. Technology was more apt to batter down the city gates than to change the nature of the city. Remember, the old, you know, uh, another day, a new boss, same, you know what, the rise of the modern West broke the pattern, whether speaking of the dispossessions and dislocations caused in Europe through the introduction of machine-driven production or elsewhere by the great age of European imperialism, an explosion of disorienting information intruding even further into Brodel's structures of everyday life. Historically, Ignorance was bliss. Today, ignorance is no longer possible. Only error, you see. You can't say they're totally, totally uh, ignorant. If you really want to know something, you will find it out. But many folk choose not to. The contemporary expansion of available information is immeasurable, uncontainable, and destructive to individuals and entire cultures unable to master it. I'll say that again. The contemporary expansion of available information is immeasurable, uncontainable, and destructive to individuals and entire cultures, unable to master it. The radical fundamentalists, the bomber in Jerusalem or Oklahoma City, the moral terrorist on the rights, right, moral terrorist, okay, or the dictatorial multiculturalist on the left are all brothers and sisters, all threatened by change, terrified of the future, and alienated at by information they cannot reconcile with their lives or ambitions. They to return to a golden age that never existed or to create a paradise of their own restrictive design. They no longer understand the world and their fear is volatile. Now, <laughs> now the insider term for those in the know, as opposed to those who simply are part of the left or right and so on, is change. You see? Change. They no longer understand the world, and their fear is volatile. So there you go. So change is good. Insider telling the people who haven't got a clue what they're talking about, you see, uh, who will simply react to left and right. Uh, these are the, so if you've got a guy who, who knows a little bit of what's been told to see, at least that's going to be change. And those who adapt to the change are the survivors and who profit, etc., etc., but not for the masses. Remember, too, I should say this as well, that uh, I can remember one of the big globalist meetings they had a few years ago, and they had a they allowed a camera in, of course, and we you see the guys looking down from their ivory tower, however high up it was, on all the protesters below. And they said at the time, we've got to start bringing these people in, I mean the heads of the NGOs. Now, these NGOs were ones that were not part of the agenda at the time. 
And what happens is, of course, a lot of them were brought in, and since then, they've been on the payroll of the big boys themselves. So everything, everything, folks, has got a spin on it, designed by specialists at the top. It's unfortunate everyone's, everyone out there, it seems, is corruptible. And those who, who want to be at the top of anything, by the way, are generally the most corruptible because, as I've said before, the psychopath smells the wind where it's going. And they can become leaders of different movements so fast and easy. They smell the wind, you see. Uh, and they can, be the sh- they can put on the complete act of what you think they're supposed to be. Off the grid it. But they're easily corrupted because their their hands are open all the time, waiting for the money to get placed there. You see, they know they're not stupid. Anyway, the fear is volatile. It says they no longer understand the world. Information destroys traditional jobs and traditional cultures. It seduces, betrays, yet remains invulnerable. How can you counterattack the information others have turned upon you? Remember, information doesn't have to be true. It can be, made, it can be meant, and often is, to rile you up and have you arguing with other people. It's all for good. And it says, so um, there's no effective option other than competitive performance. For those individuals and cultures that cannot join or compete with their information empire, there's only inevitable failure. If of note, the internet is to the techno-capable disaffected what the United Nations is to marginal states. It offers the illusion of empowerment and community. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the attempt of the Iranian mullahs to secede from modernity has failed, although a turban corpse still stumbles about the neighborhood. Information from the internet to rock videos will not be contained. And fundamentalism can't control its children. Our victims volunteer. There you go. See, these non-competitive cultures, such as that of the Arabo-Persian Islam or the rejectionist segment of our own population, are enraged. Their cultures are under assault. Their cherished values have proven dysfunctional, and the successful move on them without them. You're left behind, in other words. That's the old term, you're left behind. Oh. The laid-off blue-collar worker in America and the Taliban militiamen in Afghanistan are brothers in suffering. I'm sure this guy is writing this. has got a lot of sympathy. Huh? Yeah. It's sarcastic. It's a truism that throughout much of the 20th century, the income gap between top and bottom narrowed, where we speak of individuals, countries, or in some cases, continents. Further, individuals or countries could make it on sheer muscle power and the will to apply it. You could work harder than your neighbor and win in the marketplace. There was a rough justice in it, and it offered near ecumenical hope. That model is dead. Today, there's a growing excess of muscle power in an age of labor-saving machines and methods. In our own country, we've seen blue-collar unions move from center stage to near irrelevance. The trend will not reverse. At the same time, expectations have increased dramatically. There's a global sense of promises broken, of lies told. Individuals on much of the planet believe they have been played by the rules and laid, laid down for them, and in the breach they often have not. 
only to find that some indefinite power has changed those rules overnight. And ain't that the truth, eh? <laughs> the American who graduated from high school in the 1960s expected a good job that would allow his family security and reasonably increasing prosperity. For many such Americans, the world has collapsed, even as the media tease them with images of an ever-richer, brighter, fun world from which they are excluded. It's all fiction they're showing you anyway. But this matter, you want it, don't you? These discarded citizens sense that their government is no longer about them, but only about the privileged. Some seek the solace of explicit religion. Most remain law-abiding, hard-working citizens, and some do not. Then they go into the, the foreign twin is the Islamic or sub-Saharan African or Mexican university graduate who faces a teetering government joblessness, exclusion from the profits of the corruption distorting his society, marriage and poverty, or the impossibility of marriage, and a deluge of information telling him, exaggeratedly and dishonestly, how well the West lives. Now who's telling them that, eh? In this age of television series franchising videos and satellite dishes, this young embittered male gets his skewed view from us, from, from reruns of Dynasty and Dallas, or from satellite links beaming down Baywatch, sources we dismiss too quickly as laughable and unworthy of serious consideration as factors influencing world affairs. But their effect is destructive beyond the power. Off words to describe, and you better listen to this stuff, folks, because that's the dead truth here. Hollywood goes where Harvard never penetrated, and the foreigner, unable to touch the reality of America, is touched by America's irresponsible fantasies of itself. Now, who's given you these fantasies, folks, eh? And have been for since at least the early 1900s. He sees a devilishly enchanting, bluntly sexual, terrifying world from which he is excluded. A world of wealth he can judge only in terms of his own poverty. Most citizens of the globe are not economists. They perceive wealth as inelastic, its possession a zero-sum game. If decadent America, as seen on the screen, is so fabulously rich... It can only be because America has looted one's own impoverished group or country or region. According to the cognitive dissonance, the discarded foreigner cannot square the perceived moral corruption of America, a travesty of all he has been told to value, with America's enduring punitive power. How could a nation whose women are all harlots, quotation marks, stage desert storm? It's an offence to God, and there must be a demonic answer, a substance of conspiracies and oppression in which his own secular disappointing elite is complicit. This discarded foreigner's desire may be to attack the great Satan America, but America is far away for now, so he acts violently in his own neighbourhood. He'll accept no personal guilt for his failure, nor can he bear the responsibility that his culture doesn't work. The blame lies elsewhere. The cult of victimization is becoming a universal phenomenon, and it's a source of dynamic hatreds. Now, it's so important, all this stuff. So important. Because, you see, it's almost mocking uh, everyone, basically, who believes in everything they believe in. And it really is mocking them, too, in every country. And it's also showing you how 
this stuff that's poured out the US across the world called entertainment is utterly, and I've said this back in the 90s and on, almost to the present day, is utterly weaponized, folks. Weaponized. Yeah. And who's the first victim? The ones at home that see the stuff and, and are brought up on it. <laughs> You're the target. This is fashionable amongst the world's intellectual elites to decry American culture with our domestic critics amongst the loudest in complaint. But traditional intellectual elites are of shrinking irrelevance, replaced by cognitive practical elites. Next perch, you see. Figures such as Bill Gates, Steven Spielberg, Madonna, or our most successful politicians, human beings who can recognize or create popular appetites. Recreating themselves as necessary Contemporary American culture Is the most powerful in history And the most destructive Of competitor cultures And it's something That most folk never figure out You know, they really don't That it's the culture wars That, 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 that literally plan the future That's how they do it all Including the guys who end up running off to, to go and fight for wars they think they understand, but they're being used. What was it that Kissinger said? Kissinger, remember? The big geopolitical strategist. He said that, was he said, American, American military men, the military guys, the, the, the army and so on, soldiers, uh, he says, are simply dumb, stupid animals. That's what he said. Uh, who, who, dumb, stupid animals who are used for foreign policy. They don't understand that's what they're being used for. They don't even know what the foreign policy actually is. They're told a lie, and they go off and fight for it. I mean, so so basically, it tells you the truth there. You know, it tells you the truth. How he is one of the one of the the, the guys like the guys who write this stuff here for the intelligence services. How they view ordinary folk. It's amazing too many folk listen to this thing and well I, I agree with the with the with the elite. I agree with them because I think they're one of them. How, how stupid can you be? And I've met people like that who really are, are working class people, some of them. Huh. Now, gets back here. Well some of our cultures such as those of East Asia appear strong enough to survive the onslaught by adaptive behaviours. Most are not. The genius, the secret weapon of American culture, is the essence that the elites despise. Ours is the first genuine people's culture. You see, popular culture, that's what they mean by that. It stresses comfort and convenience, ease, and it generates pleasure for the masses. We are Karl Marx's dream and his nightmare. Secular and religious revolutionaries in our century have made the identical mistake imagining that the workers for the world or the faithful just can't wait to go home at night to study Marx or the Koran. Well, Joe Sixpack, Ivan Tupchny and Ali Kwat would rather Baywatch America has figured it out. And we are brilliant at operationalizing our knowledge and our cultural power will hinder even those cultures we do not undermine. There is no peer competitor in the cultural or military department. Our cultural empire has the addicted men and women everywhere clamoring for more. And they pay for the privilege of their disillusionment. Understand, the first people he's talking about, the targets, are all conquered, and that's their domestic population. 
American culture is criticized for its impermanence, its disposable products. But therein lies its strength. All previous cultures sought ideal achievements which, once reached, might endure in static perfection. American culture is not about the end, but the means. The dynamic process that creates, destroys, and creates anew. If our works are transient, then so are life's greatest gifts, passion, beauty, the quality of light on a winter's afternoon, even life itself. American culture is alive. And that's what they mean by that. Oh, you, here's the UN, oh, the UN, UN, oh, oh. And sure, they've given it this Marxist flavor as a big corporate elitists that, own the, that have the, they're in charge of the, they're the CEOs of the big corporations and so on, and all the shareholders at the top. And believe you me, they have private shareholders too that have the bulk of the, 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 the shares, which aren't published. Uh, these guys laugh at everybody, everybody on the planet. And it's, oh, yeah, they all want a utopia. Oh, let's, let's give them, the, the, let's say to them, oh, we'll give you peace. We'll get a united Europe and get, get peace for them, right? That's not what they tell you for years and years and years. And then, meanwhile, they, they, they sign up all these free trade, which is a big con, of course. Everything goes up in price. Your jobs go out of the country. And, and who profits? Who, well, the people who, who own the companies that just moved over to China and elsewhere, you see. This is what they mean by that. You're, we're all schmucks. There you go. We're all fools. We really are, if you believe in any of this stuff. And you're used. And you will be used. Even when you get angry, you'll be used. Because they can direct your anger. And they do. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it says it destroys and creates anew. If our works are transient, then so are life's greatest gifts. Everything's transient, you see. Remember what you said at the beginning, near the beginning, how the ones who can change and all that can keep profiting. The ones who can profit from the chaos. If our works are transient, then so are life's greatest gifts, passion, beauty, the quality of light on a winter's afternoon, even life itself. American culture is alive, but it's also directed. They don't say that, but it's also completely fictional. They create a culture and you emulate it. It's all done on TV. What did you see but Baywatch and all the rest of it? This vividness, this vitality is reflected in our military. We do not expect to achieve ultimate solutions, only constant improvement. All previous cultures, general and military, have sought to achieve an ideal form of life and then fix it in cement. Americans in and out of uniform have always embraced change. Though many individuals have not, and their conservatism has acted as a healthy break on our national excess. American culture is the culture of the unafraid. There you go. You know, it's interesting too, in the old Freemasonic books, and you know, the ones who give you your culture, including the Masons too. And you get it all through your, your, the things that generations are brought up on, like Star Trek, you know, to boldly go. Knights are bold, you boldly go, you see. American culture is the culture of the unafraid. Bold, it's a bold, you see. You know, wow. Ours is also the first culture that aims to include rather than exclude. Awfully important. Every, every part of this is so important. The films most despised by the intellectual elite, those that feature extreme violence, and to the victors the spoils, such as sex, are our most popular cultural weapon. 
bought or bootlegged nearly everywhere. Sex and violence, sex and violence, sex and violence. You see? Old technique, very ancient actually. And you don't think that sex and overdosing you with sex is a form of control over you, complete domination over you, as they give you something that's going to rattle through your brain and obsess you. That's the idea of it. That's the idea. And make partners unhappy with themselves. Oh, because you're these amazing actors and actresses who literally, if you were to breathe on them, they'd have 10,000 orgasms, you see? And your partner doesn't have that. Ooh, all fiction, but that's what they make you want. And then you start arguing with each other. Next thing you know, in that new culture, you have maybe separations or murders even, and definitely divorces. And it leads a lot of children as well without parents and a family. War, war, war. You see, war, war. You think it's just an accident that certain things are getting put up to minority status and given extra status, extra time on all media to dominate your thoughts and theirs too because they care about minorities <laughs> this is warfare being used upon everybody this is um, American action films often in dreadful copies are available from the upper Amazon to Mandalay they're even more popular than our music because they're easier to understand you don't even need dialogue you see they're like cartoons with expressions on the, on the big steroid man's face, you see, and, and all the rest of it. It's, it's all there. It's very cartoonish. This is the action films of a Stallone or a Schwarzenegger or Chuck Norris rely on visual narratives that do not require dialogue for a basic understanding. They deal at the level of universal myth, of pretext, celebrating the most fundamental impulses, although we haven't yet to produce a film as violent and cruel as the Iliad. They feature a hero, a villain, a woman to be defended or won, and a violence and sex. Complain until doomsday, it sells. Because it's primitive, it's the primitive part of the brain, you see, that's why. Then during popularity abroad of the shop-worn Rambo series, tells us far more about humanity than does a library full of scholarly analysis. When we speak of a global information revolution, the effect of video images is more immediate and intense than that of computers. Image trumps text in the mass psych. And computers remain a textual outgrowth. Demanding high-order skills, computers demarcate the domain of the privileged. We use technology to expand our wealth, power, and opportunities. The rest get high on pop culture. Pop culture is popular culture, you see, which is always given to you. If religion is the opium of the people, videos their crack cocaine. When we and they collide, they shock us with violence, but statistically, we win. As more and more human beings are overwhelmed by information or dispossessed by the effects of information-based technologies, there will be more violence. Information victims will often see no other resort. As what becomes more cerebral, those who fail to find a place will respond by rejecting reason. We will see countries and continents divide between rich and poor in a reversal of 20th century economic trends. Remember, that also applies to you back home. <laughs> Developing countries will not be able to depend on physical production industries because there will always be another country willing to work cheaper. The have-nots will hate 
and strive to attack the haves. And we in the U.S. will continue to be perceived as the ultimate haves. States will struggle for advantage or revenge as their societies boil. Beyond traditional crime, terrorism will be the most common form of violence, but transnational criminality, civil strife, secessions, border conflicts, and conventional wars will continue to plague the world, albeit with the lesser conflicts statistically dominant. In defense of its interests, its citizens, its allies, or its clients, the United States will be required to intervene in some of these contests. We will win militarily wherever we have the guts for it. There will be no peace. At any given moment for the rest of our lifetimes, there will be multiple conflicts and mutating forms around the globe. Violent conflict will dominate the headlines, but cultural and economic struggles will be steadier and ultimately more decisive. The de facto role of the U.S. armed forces will to keep the world safe for our economy and open to our cultural assault. To those ends, we will do a fair amount of killing. We are building an information-based military to do that killing. There will still be plenty of muscle power required, but much of our military art will consist in knowing more about the enemy than he knows about himself. Remember, that applies also to every civilian in every country, including your own. Manipulating data for effectiveness and efficiency and denying similar advantages to our opponents. This will involve a good bit of technology, but the relevant systems will not be the budget vampires, such as manned bombers and attack submarines that we continue to buy through inertia, emotional attachment and the lobbying power of the defense industry. Our most important technologies will be those that support soldiers and marines on the ground, that facilitate command decisions, and that enable us to kill accurately and survive amid clutter, such as the multidimensional urban battlefields. The only imaginable use for most of our submarine fleet will be to strip out the weapons, dock them tight, and turn the boats into low-income housing. There'll be no justification for billion-dollar bombers at all. Then they go on to what their plans are and so on. But remember, they're all adaptable, even if their plans change, but they've said themselves. Their plans are always alive, you see. When something doesn't go to the way it was planned, they don't sit and sob about it. What is it to say? How can we use this to our advantage? How can we use this disaster to our advantage? Ooh, <laughs> where have you heard that before, eh? And um, it says, we will not deal with wars of real politics, but with conflicts spawned of collective emotions, sub-state interests, and systemic collapse. Hatred, jealousy, and greed. Emotions rather than strategy. Isn't that, listen again. Hatred, jealousy, and greed. Emotions rather than strategy will set the terms of the struggles. What's happening right now, everywhere? It's all coincidence, right? <laughs> Then they're about surviving any conflict short of a cataclysmic use of weapons of mass destruction. But the constant conflicts in which we selectively intervene will be as miserable as any other form of warfare for the soldiers and marines engaged. Well, for the, yeah, it's always the same for the guys at the bottom, it's rotten. The bayonet will still be relevant. However, informational superiority incisively employed should both sharpen that bayonet and permit us to defeat some, but never all, of our enemies outside of bayonet range. Our informational advantage over every other country and culture will be so enormous that our greatest battlefield challenge will be harnessing its power.
and they go on and on and on and on. This is a long, long article, you know, it's quite, it's quite interesting. This is also a recruitment article, by the way, f- within the military, because, again, the ones who read this and, and say, yeah, bro, I, I, it's, I like a winner. I want to be one of the winners. At any cost, you know, and then they're asked by their pals, you know, their friends and peer group, oh, you, do you really mean that, you know, at any cost? I don't care, you know, this is all about the winners and losers. You know, and then they might get recruited. As I say, it's really interesting the way that it's all put together. They even go into <laughs> training the children by home. The complex human-machine interface developing in the U.S. military will be impossible to duplicate abroad because no other state will be able to come from behind to equal the informational dexterity of officers and soldiers. For all the complaints in many respects justified about our public school systems, the holistic and uh, synergistic nature of education in our society and culture is imparting to tomorrow's soldiers and marines a second-nature grasp of technology and the ability to sort and assimilate vast amounts of competitive data that no other population will achieve. The informational dexterity of our average middle-class kid, they say kid here, I hate that word, a kid remembers a small goat, a young goat, is terrifying to anyone born before 1970. Our computer children function at a level foreign elites barely manage. And this has much to do with television commercials, CD-ROMs, and grotesque video games, as it does with the classroom. We're outgrowing our 19th century model education system as surely as we've outgrown the manned bomber. Remember, too, I read them years ago, um, that because there's so many, many um, little exposés on the whole gaming industry, computer games, and how the, the Pentagon was, help, was helping to, to design most of them, to addict the children to them. And it says, in the meantime, our children are undergoing a process of Darwinian selection and coping with information deluge that is drowning many of their parents. These children are going to make mean techno warriors. We just have to make sure they can do push-ups too. Or in other words, they'll get very fat there and sit and do things remotely. And it goes on and on and on. But, I mean, it's really interesting, this too. Uh, all the different things they're going to use Again, the, the, the information warfare Will also have the, the, Mainly the entertainment uh, warfare Going on And how they'll use all kinds of the decadence That they're quite proud of in the West Because it destroyed the culture at home And they're awfully obedient now at home And they don't question anything But um, they actually say that Different parts in here how, and so Hollywood is preparing the battlefield And burgers precede bullets the flag follows trade despite our declaration of defeat in the face of battlefield victory in Mogadishu. The image of U.S. power and the U.S. military around the world is not only a deterrent, but a psychological warfare tool that is constantly at work in the minds of real or potential opponents. And so on and so on. But then again, too, they, they mention about the, all the different uh, things you've been brought up with and the decadence and the sex and the music videos and, and that's what they're proud of. And that's what they're going to export to all these other cultures to destroy their culture. The one thing that makes them strong, able to resist being taken over by a dominant minority, like, as, as we are, we've all been, it's all been done with us, is, is destroy the culture. Make them dysfunctional. Make them... More, more uh, completely obsessed with their little pleasure zones, put that way, to do with sex, uh, and they won't, they won't stand up uh, together and unite for any other cause, like better wages or work conditions, or they won't do it. No, it's a tool. Sex is a tool, folks. Obsession, hypersexualization, 
is used by the conquerors upon the conquered and the potentially conquered, the ones still to come. <laughs> uh-huh. Really interesting, anyway. And it says here, this is Major P. Ralph Peters is assigned to the Office of the Deputy Chief of Staff for Intelligence, who is responsible for future warfare. Prior to becoming a Foreign Area Officer for Eurasia, he served exclusively at the tactical level. He's a graduate of the U.S. Army Command and the General Staff College and holds a Master's Degree in International Relations. Over the past several years, his professional and personal research travels have taken Major Peters to Russia, Ukraine, Georgia, Ossetia, uh, Abkhazia, um, Armenia, Azerbaijan, uh, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, Croatia, Serbia, Bulgaria, Romania, Poland, Hungary, the Czech Republic, Pakistan, Turkey, Burma, Laos, Thailand, and Mexico, as well as the countries of the Andean Ridge, etc., etc. So, there you go. Yeah, that's quite something, eh? That's quite something. But this is the way it is, folks, you know. Used on everyone, eh? Used on everyone. And you think things are just happening by themselves. Look at the mess that the States is in there now. Was that read last week too? Oh my, suddenly, suddenly, with the Brexit thing, suddenly. You haven't heard about it for years. Oh, Ireland might get the, you know, the, the distance going again. Oh, and the States, of course, is different different minority groups going to start at home. Same thing. Isn't that amazing, eh? And even though people can get, can hear what I say, given enough of the <laughs> other press, put it that way, they'll, in no time at all, get into the emotional argumentation that's laid out for them to fall into. And they will fall into it, and they'll go along with it. Everything's controlled out there, folks. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> and um, I also want to, as I say, do more on this too, to do with the techniques, etc., etc., etc. It's quite something to, to when you understand how it's all perfectly well understood by those at the top. I can remember the series... I've seen replays of. It was called Mash. I think it was during the, maybe during the seventies. The, the, the series came out. So this comedy about the Korean War it was and the army uh, medical unit that was about supposedly in the fields. And um, there was a, there was a, a this major. I think it was a captain or a major of intelligence. They used to just jump in the scenes in this comedy and do crazy things and see what he's really up to and how he's obscuring uh, it's like a chessboard to him and how he's obscuring his movements as he stirs up trouble with one group against another group and so on until and they're all standing listening to him this this crazy guy and uh, with their mouths open like oh this guy's mad well you see these are the characters that intelligence agencies for the military turn out. And they are technically mad, because when you don't have any problem with starting mass slaughters, and you don't see people as individuals amongst the crowd, because the crowd is nothing but com- composed of lots of individuals. Well, you don't see that anymore. You, you are a danger to society, folks. You are a danger to society in any culture. Mm-hmm. 
And that's what's at the top, you see. That's at the top. Hmm. It really makes you wonder, doesn't it? It really makes you wonder. And as I say, what do they do too at the right time when they need it? I said back in the late 90s on a show, I said, uh, the, the, the Russian bear, the bear in the cave, you see, will be brought out of its hibernation if they ever need it again. Yep, there you go. It's all predictable, folks. When you study their techniques, it ain't new. It's very old, very old indeed. Very, very old. And it's awfully effective. And it's awfully, awfully predictable in how it works and how it does succeed. You're all victims of it. We're all victims of everything. You've been brainwashed to believe everything's normal. Why shouldn't you? Why should, as I said last week, why should you? Be so terrified of a system that you're born into and trained to believe and so on. It's all normal and it's all respectable people, but you're actually in fear of people at the top. Why is that? Why is that? Something smells, something stinks, eh? No wonder. No wonder, folks. And this fella, as I said, said it in the 90s, 1990s what their plans were. It wasn't like he was suddenly coming out with this stuff. He was just putting it into, into easier terminology again for, for, for a talk or a, an article. And um, it's been taught forever, this kind of stuff. Oh, he always has been. And for a, a, a dominant minority. The minority runs it all. Hmm? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Hollywood. Anyway... Uh, before I go tonight, and this might be, I might do a third part of this, I don't know yet. There's so much, I, I could go on and on and on about it. But um, I'll just put down this article here. And it says, Hollywood is a tool of cultural imperialism and perception management. I have done that too a long time ago. But I'll put this up as well, this this link for you to to look at. And I went through another one. I was saying, I kind of broke it when it when came out a long time ago. Uh, it says, for decades in art circles, it was either a rumor or a joke, but now it's confirmed as a fact. The Central Intelligence Agency used American modern art. It wasn't American either, by the way, if you want to go into the history of it, including the works of such artists, <laughs> what a joke, as Jackson Pollock, Robert Motherwell, William de Kooning, and Mark Rothko as a weapon in a Cold War. Because the CIA fostered and promoted American abstract expressionist painting around the world for more than 20 years. These are the guys that ended up, by the way, in art today. Uh, if you don't know, if you think it all happened by itself and, and by these idiots they pick up uh, and, and put like a fetus in a jar of urine and call it art. This is where it all came from, the CIA, folks. Yep. Connection is improbable. There was a period in the 1950s and 60s when the great majority of Americans disliked or even despised modern art. President Truman summed up the popular view when he said, If that's art, then I'm a hot and tot. And as for the artists themselves, many were ex communists, weren't ex yeah, you know, They ran on both sides, actually, some of these characters. I gave you the talk about the book on it, America, the CIA's Cultural Cold War. If you're interested, you'll find out for yourself. If you don't know it without the book, you'd, well, I'd feel sorry for you. But, uh, yeah, there's lots of stuff out there, and um, 
That's quite something. Quite something, folks. It really is, isn't it? It's quite something. Ah. And then just just to finish it off, uh, I don't know about, about this guy here, but listen, listen. Now I've said that you, oh, yeah, there's an article years ago, and I think the Toronto Star, about half page one, and it's about how the CIA and intelligence services in the, in the U.S. created was the Patriot Radio at that time, a shortwave radio, to fight communism by using, initially, uh, Christian ministers or priests or pastors and so on. And that, that helped to, to spread that anti-communist stuff across the world into those countries that were involved in communism or getting conquered by them or whatever. But here's this all ties in to get what I'm saying. Records show that the feds in the U.S. used ultra-right radio hosts for years. And um, this is a mainstream newspaper. This is, uh, they called him Valhalla, but it was more than a nickname. For more than five years, Hal Turner of North Bergen in the U.S. lived a double life. They probably knew him as an ultra-right-wing radio talk show host and internet blogger with an audience of neo-Nazis and white supremacists attracted to his scorched-earth racism and bare-knuckles bashing on public figures. But to the FBI and his expanding domestic counter-terror intelligence operations, in the wake of his September 11 attack, Turner was Valhalla, his codename as an informant who spied on his own controversial followers. He did more than just spy on them. This is, this is how they write articles. There's always more to it, folks. Yeah. And he actually got imprisoned eventually, um... Because he named, or he said something about three U.S. judges, and uh, he he, incite, he he spoke in a, in a way that he's, they said in the court case that incited uh, murder of these guys, and um, so even his status is kind of protected, uh, failed right there, failed from there. But uh, I'll put the, the link up for you to read yourself, and there's another one too. From 2050, he's back on the air too. You know, it's uh, every Wednesday, I think it is. But be careful out there. I've, I've said it so many times. Be careful, folks. Understand it. Understand how to tweak every little part of your the neuronal structures and pathways in your brain. <laughs> they really, really do. They really do. Be awfully careful. Be awfully careful, and um, even if it's a cult of personality, you know, because you, 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 you've been trained to, to worship the stars and blah blah blah. And be very careful, folks. There may be completely different people running all that than they can ever imagine. Like, no kidding. So it's not a new thing. This is this old and old technique. Well, from Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada. And Hamish is still just about trottering along. It's a surprise today, the high heat, humidity, and all the deer flies coming in in squadrons. And the poor soul managed to get up a hill, uh, just struggling to keep ahead. And I called him back because, I mean, I had enough myself. It was getting too hot. Getting eaten alive with the deer fly. And um, I can't believe it, really. There's so many tumors all over him. And one of them's open on his mouth. It's really sad. But he doesn't seem to be in pain at the moment. It's incredible. And it is incredible. Seriously. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night. And may your God or your gods go with you.